Where should you put your money? NFTs, REITs, VULs, mutual funds, life insurance, stocks? In this episode of B-Side, Rex A. Mendoza, president and CEO of Rampfer Financials, a distributor of investment funds in the Philippines, shares his picks and financial advice. He also tells Business World reporter Patricia B. Mirasol why the Filipino appetite for investment has increased over the pandemic. Just to give you an idea of this appetite, according to a report released by the Philippine Stock Exchange this May, retail investors accounted for 43.3% of the volume traded by local investors in the January to March period. This is significantly higher than the 26.9% in 2020 and 18.2% in 2019. A note as well on the many other hats that Mr. Mendoza wears. He's also the lead independent director of Globe Telecom and Ayala Land Logistics Holdings Corporation, director of Seedbox Technologies, and the chairman of Singapore Life Philippines and the Soldivo Funds. What is financial wellness and does the definition change as you go through the different stages of life? A lot of people always talk about having financial wellness without being able to define it for themselves. And that's why it's always a moving target. But if you really strictly define financial wellness, it is the financial capability to handle obligations currently and having the financial freedom of choice for the future. So financial security today, freedom of choice today, and in the future. That's exactly financial wellness. So being able to handle your obligations, your responsibilities financially, being able to get what you want whenever you want it, and that's a capability that's supposed to be present and in the future. This pandemic has highlighted the need for people to save and invest for the future and also for uncertainties. Based on your observations and your experience and what you know as an insider in the industry, what investment vehicles are Filipinos going for nowadays? Basically, Patricia, I see the Filipino not to be really ready for this pandemic. You know, majority of our fellow men are actually waiting for the ayuda from government. They're not prepared. They did not set aside money. Everyone's like living within their income without really thinking about emergencies like this, or maybe the future and what the future holds. And for those people who are invested largely, many of them are just in fixed income instruments. It's almost like how we were told when we were young, right? Whenever you have excess money, put it in the bank, keep it for your future without understanding the possibility of actually losing value because interest rates in financial institutions today are much less than the inflation rate. So they have to go for more growth-focused investments that not a lot of people are savvy and not a lot of people understand. So talking about different financial instruments, I was going through our articles at Business World, and I saw an article from 2019 that said that VULs are gaining popularity among Filipinos. Can you explain the reason for the rise in popularity of this insurance product? There are several reasons for that. Number one, it's because it's a combination. You know, we Filipinos, we like having a product that answers several needs altogether. A VUL is insurance, which is coverage for life and the security side. And there's another portion of it, which would be the investment or the saving side. So if you're going to be looking at it, it answers these two particular needs. 
The other thing that really pushes it and the reason why it's really growing is because of the number of financial advisors that we have all around the country really selling it to people. Now, these two factors has pushed the BUL product in that space. And again, that's the reason for the growth. I'm sure that VULs are not for everyone. Who shouldn't get VULs? It's always a goals and needs-based analysis. It's quite odd that this product, when you put them in a combination, gets to be more expensive. In financial services, at times, the combos cost more because there is friction cost attached to it. There is commission. So when somebody's already savvy, when somebody already knows what to do, he can actually do the combinations himself and he can actually save money. Not that he doesn't need a VUL, it's just that there is a more efficient way of protecting and investing. Now, on the other hand, there are really people, like for example, if you're single and you don't have anyone dependent on you, you're just probably going to put your parents as beneficiaries. But many of our parents don't even need that kind of coverage from us. If our economic value is not that relevant to them, then the insurance is not going to be called for unless they're dependent on our income. So it, it's really dependent on your relationships and how people rely on you for your economic value. If there is no reliance, if there's no value there, then insurance might not be an option unless you just want to buy it because you're young and later on when you get married, you will be needing the insurance anyway. So at least you got it at a cheaper price because you're a lot younger. Are you saying that if I'm a single person without any dependents, there are no benefits for me when it comes to getting a life insurance? There are other facets of insurance that you might need when you're single, which can be critical illness, which might be loss of income if you lose a job or you get disabled. So these are the coverages that a single person needs, but these are all living benefits. It's a very different thing. When I said need earlier, life insurance probably would be misconstrued as death coverage. But there are facets of life insurance that can be relevant to a single person. An article this month by Business World mentioned that a lot more people are getting health insurance nowadays because of this pandemic. Do you think that this trend will continue post-pandemic or will people stop thinking about health insurance again once we get past this crisis? I think it's going to be here to stay. In the future, we have to be ready for anything. And uh, I guess the realization is that this is not going to be the end of it. People are going to be thinking about a probable new virus, a probable new variant. So being financially secure and getting covered for medical insurance, HMO, or critical illness insurance would always be relevant. What is the healthy investment ratio when it comes to risky investments such as cryptocurrencies versus safer investment instruments such as mutual funds? It's funny because... Uh, there are a lot of investors in cryptocurrencies right now. And yeah, I might have to say the young guys might be putting money in them without even understanding what they are and how they work. No? So as a financial advisor, I've always told people the real answer is asset allocation. 10% minimum should be in an emergency fund. 10% should be in fixed income. Uh, still, you have to have money in the bank, a money market fund, commercial placements, something that you can always access if anything wrong happens. 
Now, 20 to 25% will have to be in managed funds, stocks, bonds, stuff like that. So you, know, you kind of move that up or down depending on how you're involved in other instruments. Again, another 25 to 30%, this time on real estate. You know, real estate is still a good investment. You can get yields from rental income. You can also get yields from appreciation. And over time, it's a good hedge over inflation. Then again, another 25 to 30 should be in businesses. If you don't have anything on business, then you'll have to allocate part of it to mutual funds or financial securities and real estate. And then lastly, 5% on really risky instruments. This will include cryptocurrencies, NFTs, these new things. Because I cannot be involved in a big way in them because I don't appreciate them as much as somebody who might appreciate this. For them, they can be happy with 20 to 25%. That's going to be fine. And then the remainder, which is about 10%, that's what I'm going to use for security. That will be insurance, especially for breadwinners and a father like me who has a family to take care of and future obligations just in case something happens to me. Talking about real estate, do you think that Filipinos are more open to REITs as an alternative to real estate, which can get really costly? REITs for me is just like the mutual fund of real estate. If you cannot buy your direct stocks, if you cannot maintain your actual portfolio in stocks, then the way to do it would be through mutual funds, right? And you can have concentrations on geographical areas or thematics like technology, consumer trends, you can just put money in funds like those and you're automatically invested in that realm. In real estate, it's just like that as well. I cannot buy an office building. I cannot buy you know, office space for rent. I buy a REIT. It's almost like I'm part owner of the several buildings that are owned by the REIT, in which case I can get a portion of the dividends that they distribute and they're forced to. 90% of the dividends have to be distributed every quarter for the REITs. So for me, technically, it is a safe product that's for me performing like a quasi-time deposit or a quasi-fixed income instrument because you're going to be expecting the REITs to be paying you on a quarterly basis. So it's almost like there's a little bit of capital appreciation to expect, but the big expectation would be on the rental income that you share through the dividends. Last December, I attended this webinar by this remittance firm called World Remit. And according to them, of all the remittances sent to their firm, less than 5% are purposely sent for investments and savings. How are our OFWs? Are they getting better when it comes to savings and investments now? Because some OFWs I know work so hard for many years outside the country. And then when they come back, they don't have any savings. They're like back to square one. I might have to say things have changed for OFWs. They're now better investors. They now think about really going home and retiring. Uh, people are more aware that they have to have the discipline and the responsibility while they are in their earning years. Unfortunately, it's not yet at that level where it is ideal. And I say that because of many reasons. Number one, it's not just the OFW that needs the education and the discipline. It's also their family here. Because the family here normally 
is going to be living beyond their means. They're always getting into a lifestyle which is higher than whoever's income is out there as an OFW. So it has to be a partnership. The OFW, as well as the family here, should both have the discipline. Second, there is a slowdown in the global economy. But check out your remittances. They're still high. This is an anecdote I'll share with you, Patricia, because this is real. I was in Switzerland. You know, most of these bankers, we were in a conference, and they told us the real amount of remittances in the Philippines will go down because the global economy is down. And then one of the guys who are there, a banker, says, you know, these guys are just doing mathematical regressions. They don't know the culture of the Filipino. And I said, why? How is that relevant? They said, OFWs send money to the Philippines, not a direct function of their income. The reason why they send money is not because they have income and the money is needed. No, they send what is asked for. Sabi niya, simple-simple. Ang pinadadala ko, ano hinihingi? Now, Rex, tanungin kita, kailan bumaba ang hinihingi? And that's the reason why the poor OFW will always look for another job. If he gets cut off from a job, if he gets a pay cut, he'll look for an extra extension, maybe an overtime or something, a side hustle, so that he gets to earn more. That's why your remittance, tuloy-tuloy yung paglaki nun. Kasi talagang binubuno nila yun, kasi yun ang hinihingi. That's the reason why this partnership for me between the OFW and the family here has to be really, really important. That's the consideration. Why do some people still fall for Ponzi-like schemes? And do you think that Filipinos are smarter now not to fall for such schemes? I would want to think they're smarter now, but unfortunately, the Filipino, while smarter, still falls prey to greed. I think that's a big reason for the Ponzi scheme to succeed. No? Um, it's like getting pushed by greed, earning more than what they should. And second, risk management getting thrown out of the window. It's a get-rich-quick type of arrangement. See, that tells you something about the Filipino. He's not saving enough money, so he wants to earn big from the very little that he invests. That's why he falls prey to the Ponzi schemes. Now, many Filipinos actually know their Ponzi schemes. It's sad because people are even telling me, Sir, alam naman namin talagang scam yan eh, but mauuna naman kami. You know, after earning money from them, they'll be out. They're like lemmings, right? It's a bandwagon. You know, it's a trip to the cliff. But people are saying before it gets to the cliff, they will stop. That's the reason for this. And so when I say, are they savvy? You know, they're savvy. They know it's a Ponzi scheme, but they still do it. They still do it because they want to earn more. Do you think that had this pandemic not happened, investing among Filipinos, especially when it comes to the stock market, would still be around that 18.2% figure. Even if the pandemic didn't happen, the 18 will still grow because number one, financial literacy is becoming mainstream. I like to see it in YouTube webinars. Uh, a lot of people are now talking about it. There are even TV and radio shows also talking about it. So it's very, very different between you know now and the 90s and the 80s. Second, I think there has been a lot of push towards participation at many different levels. In fact, I can tell you, I probably would say it will be close to 40% today in reality because you can just check the rankings of the brokers. Paul Financials is now number one. When I was a lot younger, you will never see a Filipino company to be the number one brokerage. The number one brokerage will always be a multinational player 
with foreign funds to boot, right? Foreign funds to invest. Today, the number one brokerage is called Financials, which is largely a retail platform. Because of that, and the participation of other platforms now, Utrade, MyTrade, and all of them are growing leaps and bounds. I, I would tend to think retail will have a big, big chunk or proportion of the investments that are being done in the stock market. Which investment products are the winners this pandemic? There can be a few. The REITs are a winner. If you're going to be looking at a REIT, it's up like over 30% and the yield is still very good at about 6 to 7%. So it's almost like you have money beating the time deposits of the bank twofold and you have an asset that's appreciating. That's one. Another winner would be thematic mutual funds. These are funds that focus on certain investment products where the focus is number one, technology. Technology services, essential retail, these are going up. So if you have mutual funds that are focused on retail essentials or consumer trends, gaming and stuff like that, that's going to be a plus. Also, concentration on certain jurisdictions like the U.S. is still up. So if you have a U.S. technology fund or a U.S. consumer trends fund, you're also going to be a winner. You're also going to be earning a little more. So it's always a balancing act. That's why we always recommend to clients that they should have enough asset allocation, really a robust portfolio that is diversified so that through hell or high water, part of your portfolio will do well and part will recover when the time comes. And that concludes another episode of B-Side. Once again, you heard Rex A. Mendoza, President and CEO of Rampver Financials, speaking with Business World reporter Patricia B. Marisol about financial wellness and how retail investors are playing a bigger role in the stock market. The tried and true advice of not putting all your eggs in one basket still applies today, and there are even more baskets to choose from. Additionally, you no longer need millions to invest in a managed fund. 50 bucks and you're good to go. This B-Side episode was recorded remotely on August 5. This is Samuel Marcelo. Thanks for listening.